And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I really do appreciate your coming our way here. Uh, we are here every Sunday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We're also on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific time on this fine station for the special edition of Tell Me Your Story. So we hope you will join us for all four of those broadcasts. And if you can't make it then, then why don't you go to SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other lo locations where you can hear the podcasts of this program. But that's not all. We have a uh, channel on YouTube. It's called Tell Me Your Story, and you can watch these programs. I hope that you will take advantage of all of the opportunities to listen to our interviews. 117 videos up on the Tell Me Your Story channel on YouTube. On over 600 interviews up on SoundCloud and all of the ancillary uh, podcasting sites so that uh, you have a wide and diverse selection to choose from. Also, should you be of uh, a sound mind, sound body, and sound wallet, we would greatly appreciate any support that you can provide us. If this program resonates with you, if you like what we're doing, you like what we're providing as far as the information, you know, we'd love to have your support financially. Any amount is welcome. We will take energetic support as well. We have a PayPal and Patreon account for those monetary uh, supports uh, that uh, you can uh, bring our way. So again, I thank you, thank you, thank you for those who have helped. I thank you, thank you, thank you for those who will help. And we also ask you to participate in the decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. We're asking you to go within, spend some time in that quiet peaceful, calm space, listening to that still small voice that is going to guide you through literally every moment of your life. If you will allow that still small voice, some call it their, the divine, the higher self, um, the gut feeling, you can give it any name you want. It's my friend. That's what I call it, my friend, because my friend has never, ever led me astray. And uh, he will never, she, he, she, it will never lead you astray. We are going to take you down the straight and narrow today, as a matter of fact, in a matter of speaking with our very special guest here on the program. His name is Lee Tomlinson, and he has a rather interesting story to share with us regarding, uh, well, compassion and compassion having to do with uh, compassion uh, heals movement. Uh, he is Patient Lee Tomlinson. Welcome to the program, Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. Richard, it is a, uh, a pleasure and an honor. And given my medical history, uh, it's an honor to be alive and above ground. So it's a delight to be here. That's what they say. It is always better to be above the ground six feet than below the ground six feet. Agreed. <laughs> I've been too close to the latter and not the former, so it's it's good to be here. Well, we will get into that, I'm sure, but you've got this movement about compassion. Boy, we could sure use that today. I, I, I'm going to share this observation. This is an apolitical or non-political observation. Correct. And I've been observing this since probably the 1980s, going through the Reagan and the Bush Sr. and Clinton and Bush Jr. and Obama and Trump eras. And one of the things that I have noticed is, and I noticed this today, in spite of all that the 
Democrats at this time have all of the advantages that they have, just like in the 90s, and this happened in the 90s, they can't put, they can't put two things together to make stuff happen. They're even divided. And when the Republicans are in control, they have the same problem. They can't put two things together to make, make things happen. Now, some people say, well, that's not true because you look at this. Look, overall, in the grand scheme of things, it's a pendulum that keeps swinging back and forth. Now, Lee, let me ask you something. Aside from the hands moving around the clock on a grandfather clock that has a pendulum that swings back and forth, what is accomplished? Well, what's accomplished with compassion? Well, not, with, uh, not so much with compassion. With the pendulum swinging, aside from the hands going around the clock, uh, around the face of the clock, what is accomplished, aside from that, from the swinging of the pendulum back and forth? And I'll, I'll go ahead and give, I'll give you the, can, the answer, and that's nothing. Nothing is accomplished. I was going to say, yes, yeah. exactly right. Uh, if there ever was a time in my lifetime, and I just turned 72, which is remarkable to me. Um, I never thought I'd get here, and I'm delighted to be here. Um, I've never seen a time when there's more division, infighting, violence, anger, misogynism, sexism, racism in my lifetime. And so far, I've not seen anything that's reducing that other than the simple power of kindness and compassion, which is I'm willing and open to hear and feel your problems and be moved to help solve it. Hopefully, if I do that for you, you'll do that for me. And where's the evidence of that? Just look at history. The only way we survived as cavemen was by banding together, which is coming together despite our differences, despite our sexes, despite all of that, to say, I'll guard you back, your back, if you'll guard mine. Everything else will work out, but if you'll guard mine, that's what made us survive. We are genetically designed for connection. And all of this infighting moves us further from that and literally threatens our existence. So compassion is the answer to all of that, as simple as it sounds, apparently it's not so much because we'd see more of it in the world today. Let me ask you to define compassion. You are yeah. not saying that in order for us to move forward and achieve the things that we'd like to as a society or civilization, we got to give in. That is not compassion, giving in. No, no, there's no giving in. What we need to realize is, is that in order for all of us to survive, we need to work together. That doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but we have to get down to a very fundamental um, uh, understanding, which is unless we cooperate, even if we don't get everything we want, we will get the necessities of life for the majority of us, and we will survive as a species, which, if you talk to scientists, is very much in, in doubt right now. And with all the violence and the hate and the murder and the assaults and all of that sort of stuff, it's not getting better because we're too far apart. Everybody has pain. 
It's just different kinds of pain. So if we want to survive, we have to find common ground. To your point, empathy is what most people mistake for compassion. Empathy is the willingness. I feel your pain. When you see someone in pain, whether it's in a hospital, whether it's in a in the uh, a homeless person, whether it's somebody in an accident. If you feel no pain whatsoever, uh, driven by their pain, then you're probably burned out and incapable of it at the moment. And you are a sick human being who needs help to solve that. So that's empathy. I feel your pain. Oh my God, it hurts me deeply. It's what got most people into healthcare. But empathy doesn't do the person in pain much good. It makes them feel seen and heard, and that's a good thing, but doesn't do much to relieve the pain. In order for empathy to turn into compassion, you have to add action. I need to feel your pain and do something to attempt to relieve it. That is compassion. And again, we are proven genetically designed to be compassionate. And when we're not being, that's when the trouble begins. Mm. One of the aspects of, uh, and I suppose we don't want to go too far down this particular rabbit hole in terms of uh, defining the lack of compassion, but one that I have noticed uh, as I've done these interviews as well as uh, worked with other people is the, the medical community, and that's really uh, your main focus more than anything else, but the medical community, as I say it, as I put it, does not know when to say when and let the person go. And I'm not talking about assisted suicide here or euthanasia. I'm talking about making the person as comfortable as is humanly possible so that they can live out the last minutes, hours, or days, weeks, or months of their lives in the way that they want to rather than continuing to do test after test. We're going to fix you. We're going to. And that raises another question that we'll get into, and that's the subject of healing. But talk to me about your perspective, your observations about modern medicine. And this is modern, not alternative, but modern medicine that doesn't know when to say when. Well, you know, the challenge with any sort of discussion about healthcare is to make overall generalizations, mm -hmm. because to say that that's true of everybody or the majority of people in healthcare, honestly, as a person who's been a perpetual patient all my life, you know, for any number of different uh, accidents and diseases and you name it, um, I have found that, in fact, many of them do. And it's up to us to find if we're suffering from that or those we love is to find someone who does get that. Mm -hmm. Healthcare professionals are the first people to say, we're not perfect, but the system demands that we do, or they do whatever they can do to try and extend your life until you decide, it's your decision, enough is enough. At which point you can go into hospice if you're near end of life and they will treat you like gold like the special human being you are. Mm -hmm. Now, what's odd about that is that, you know, today in modern medicine, this is the biggest problem as far as I'm concerned, other than the cost of modern medicine, 
is the growing lack of compassion in healthcare. 50% of Americans today say they receive zero compassion from their healthcare providers or the system, mm. 50%. Now, the problem with that, aside from the fact that it feels horrible, it's horrible. Here I am in terrible pain and suffering. I'm putting my life in your hands and you treat me like trash. Mm. It is that kind of lack of care that drove me to consider suicide at the end of my cancer battle. So I would say that the uh, two biggest problems in healthcare are, number one, a growing lack of compassionate care for patients, which the World Health Organization and science has proven unequivocally must be essential to the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, must be essential for anything that ails you. Mm -hmm. And only 50% are getting it. At the same time, healthcare professionals are burning out at a rate of 60%, which means that they're working and working and working and working and working and working until they burn out, which among other things, aside from destroying their life, they become emotionally numb. And when they're emotionally numb, they can't be compassionate, even though they think they might be. So those two problems coming to a head are a disaster for patients who don't get the compassion they need for the best, quickest outcome. Burnout is a disaster for healthcare professionals, destroys their life, and in doing so, destroys us as patients. And those two problems are two the two problems that I'm trying to bring attention to so that we can figure out how to help healthcare professionals be more loving and compassionate with themselves, stay healthy, and then be their most compassionate selves with us patients for the best possible result. So those are the two things that I'm spending my life, rest of my lifetime um, after my cancer and near suicidal experience um, recently, that's what drove me to do what I'm doing with the Compassion Heals movement, my book, my movie, and all of those different things. Before we get into your specific story, I'd like for you to um, give us your perspective on your definition of healing. And when you give that to us, consider... I'm a Reiki master, alternative medicine. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. how much you know about Reiki. Very much. But what I was taught, this is what I was taught in the mastership program, was that when I am, shall we say, uh, I was going to say administering, but I'm not administering anything. I am the conduit of that energy. When I yes. am being used as that conduit to send energy to, in the case of my uncle, my father's brother, who had cancer, it is not my place to say, and what we're going to use this energy for is to destroy the cancer and make my uncle healthy. That's a nice sentiment. That's very compassionate. But that's not the purpose of the energy. The energy is sent so that the individual can choose what they will do with it. And in his case, he got very angry, threw his medication against the wall, got in his wheelchair, wheeled across the compound where he and his family lived to where his son lived in the house, went inside, 
had several hours of father-son bonding and closure before he passed away. That's what he chose to use that energy for, even though he probably wasn't even aware of the absentee healing or I, I and, and that's why I come to the try to define the word healing, because to the medical community, healing is we've cured you. The treatments we've given you have fixed you. But from the Reiki standpoint, I don't think that's what healing is about well so is your question so how would i define healing or how would i define how would you define healing you know i think that you'd have to ask every individual person what healing means mm -hmm. and what i would say in a general sense it is the relief of pain and suffering and the means to that is however we choose to get there mm -hmm. Some may choose to go down a traditional medicine. Some may take alternative uh, opportunities. And some may do nothing whatsoever and let just whatever's going to happen, happen. But uh, Hippocrates said that as a healer, we only have three jobs. One, treat often. Two, cure sometimes. And three, comfort always. And comfort, your full-time job if you're a healer, and that's anybody involved in any way, manner, shape, or form in trying to relieve the pain of another, uh, comes from the Latin word comfortare, which means to strengthen greatly, provide emotional support, strengthen hope, consolation in times of loss, and encouragement in difficult circumstances. So I would say that as a healer, our full-time job is to comfort patients always who are in pain mm -hmm. in the hope of if they'd like to heal mm -hmm. and to cure, but at a minimum to strengthen them greatly, which has nothing to do with what you do to them. It's how you do what you do. So that would be my answer. There are also those who say that uh, the medical community really doesn't heal anybody. It's the individual who actually heals themselves or moves themselves forward, if you will, uh, in that, we'll call it that transformational process. And, that, and that's on an individual basis because, you know, you go and you break a leg. Yeah, it's true that the, our bodies are the ones that start to knit the bone back together. But it is the physician who knows how to position the bones so they knit back together, hopefully as close to uh, the way they were before the bone was broken. Right, right. Well, it is a, it, listen, it's a team. Yeah. And everybody on the team has a job. I mean, it's like a baseball team. You know, uh, the bat boy. Yeah. He's not going to hit a home run. He's not going to catch the ball. He's not going to throw somebody out. But if he doesn't show up with the bats, <laughs> we got a problem. Yeah. So everybody involved in the healthcare that comes in contact with the patient or comes in contact with people who are dealing directly with the patient has a job of comforting always, which is to be kind, it's to be caring, it's to be thoughtful, it's to be polite, it's to be sensitive to, it's offer support in times of trouble. It's all of those things. Mm. Who heals whom? 
Who cares? <laughs> I don't know the I don't know the answer. What I do know is is that I will take feedback from the universe in any way, manner, shape, or form. It is presented to me, and then it's up to me to make my own decisions about what feels right to me, and see how it goes. That's the only choice we have. Compassion heals movement is what we're talking about. We're also talking about patient Lee. Tomlinson, and you can go to LeeTomlinson.com, where we will also be linked so that you can uh, continue to read more about him. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, your medical history. Now, here's the beautiful <laughs> thing. There's what's called the HIPAA law, okay? And I could, uh, I could um, if I had access, I could pull up records and I could start reading all kinds of stuff, but then I'd be in violation of that HIPAA law. But when you do it, about yourself, as I have done of myself on this program. I've got, yeah, I had high, I had uh, a type two diabetes. Sure, no, I don't anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm dealing with Good. a little bit of high blood pressure. All right, fine. I got a, I got a, a rather tender knee right now because I tripped over my dog and banged my knee into the floor. Uh, but don't I'm, do that. But, don't well, do that. It's already, it's too late. I've already done it. Uh, but I'm healing. Mm, okay. but, <laughs> right. Good. Good. But I am healing. See, I can talk about me, but I can't talk about you. So. You're a cancer survivor, though. That's huge. Well, I, I'm way more than that. I, I, I have to say, I, I honestly, and I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, I'm an I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. Um, adrenaline has driven me to some extraordinary adventures. It has also driven me to be hospitalized in six different countries. I've broken over a dozen bones. I've had my thumb pulled off. I've had skin grafts, bone grafts. Um, I've had more infectious diseases than I can remember. Um, so I spent a lot of time in hospitals and medical centers around the world, culminating in uh, five or six years ago, I went to my ENT for some allergy tests because I was having some allergic symptoms to something and um, walked out three hours later with a, a diagnosis of stage three, stage four throat cancer. Um, now, I had never smoked never drank, ex-professional athlete, marathon runner, ate healthfully. I was doing everything right. <laughs> Boom. I ended up with throat cancer. And uh, they were going to the uh, treatment outlined was they would do surgery to remove the tumor right at the base of my tongue, which would likely have uh, eliminated the possibility of me speaking. And as a Hollywood producer, studio owner, developer, blah, 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 uh, not being able to talk, I couldn't imagine at 60 some years old how I was going to reinvent myself with no voice. So I said, guys, that's not an option. I'm already dead if you do that. They looked at each other and said, okay, it's not what we recommend. But if we give you the maximum amount of chemo and the maximum amount of radiation that we think we ethically can. If it doesn't kill you, maybe we can avoid surgery. And that's what they did. And I, I must say, through all of those accidents and all of those hospitalizations and, and so on, um, I thought I was pretty tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going to give me some flu, you know, you gave me some chemo, you know, you're going to stick it in a thing and it's going to go in my body fine. Then you're going to give me a shot of some electronic, some, you know, something or other in this huge machine, you know, 35 straight days. How tough can that be? 
let me just say, if you added up every single injury and in, in, illness I had in my lifetime, multiplied times a thousand, that's the kind of pain I experienced during my cancer treatment. Having 35 atomic blasts days in a row to the most, one of the most tender parts of your body, the base of your tongue inside your mouth. Mm. It was like having a cherry bomb explode in it on Monday. Then on Tuesday, another cherry bomb. Then on Wednesday, another cherry bomb. Then on Thursday, for seven straight weeks. Mm. At the end of it, I was living in 15-minute increments. Can I make it? Literally looking at the clock, going, I'm dying. I have unlimited amounts of fentanyl patches, and the pain is only moderated. It is definitely not gone. And... Can I make it from 2.15 to 2.30? Can I make it from 2.30 to 2.45? In the beginning, the answer was yes. But at the end, towards the end, um, I wasn't sure if I even wanted to. And what always happens when things can't get any worse? Things got worse. I woke up in, in an ER in a hospital, not my preference, UCLA Health, but another one because it was an emergency. And with an unidentifiable septic infection at the site of my port where they put all of the chemo and nutrients and everything else in me. So now I have no career. I don't know if I'm going to live from the cancer. I'm dying from that. I don't know if I'll be able to make a living. I'm a jerk when I'm really, really, really sick and scared. So I was ruining my marriage. My life was a mess. And now uh, with no immune system left after the chemo and the radiation, Now I'm dying from an infection they can't even identify. If there ever was a time when a simple bit of kindness, caring, compassion, gentleness, understanding, pick any word you like to describe it, that I could have used, it was in that hospital. And I got zero. Mm. I won't go into the details, but it was horrific what I experienced. Not the treatment. I'm alive. So the treatment was fine. But the care was the polar opposite of compassion. It was mean and sensitive and unkind. And what it did was, I don't know about you, but when I put my life into somebody's hands, they become gods and goddesses to me. So everything they say, I pay very close attention to. And if they treat me like crap, I assume I am, in fact, crap. Mm. And I realized I was making everybody in my life miserable. My business was suffering. My marriage was suffering. My family was suffering. The best thing that could happen here is for me to leave this earth. And I had enough fentanyl patches, put them on, go to sleep, and my family would collect on a gigantic key man life insurance policy at the studio and live like kings for the rest of their lives. And that's what I decided to do. Mm. But there was a small problem, which is, If you put on too many patches, it looks like suicide, can't collect. So I needed to know how many patches. (laughs) Fortunately, I left the hospital, thanks God, the hospital from hell, went home, and a doctor friend came to visit. He was the one I was going to trust to ask the question. He came in, and it was excruciating with with that radiation for me to talk. It was excruciating. But I managed to tell him the horrible experience I'd had and how depressed I was as a result and didn't want to live anymore. 
and he sat down next to me, put his hand on my arm, and very softly and lovingly said, Lee, I am so, so, so sorry for what you experienced. It was a complete and total lack of compassion. And it's inexcusable. And it's getting worse in medicine. More and more people are getting no compassion whatsoever. And look what it's done to you. I am so sorry. Now, he didn't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. He was just my friend, but he was in medicine. He apologized. And then he asked my permission. May I make a suggestion? Sure, Dean. He said, rather than doing yourself in, how about this? How about you fight? And if you're lucky enough to survive, how about you spend the rest of your life dedicated to reminding healthcare professionals and everybody else in the world of the immense healing power of compassion for the receiver, the provider, and if it's in a business situation, the bottom line of the business in which their lives interact. He said, make a difference rather than doing yourself in. And it was that act of kindness, his belief, his kindness, his apology that saved my life. How long did that conversation take? A couple of minutes. That is what opened my eyes to what I hadn't gotten. And in terms of all of my studies, discovering the extraordinary scientifically proven immense power of compassion to heal everybody involved. And that's when I got meaning and purpose in my life and decided to live. And I'm thankful to this moment for having done that. Lee Tomlinson is my guest. LeeTomlinson.com is the website. Compassion Heals Movement is what we're talking about here. Uh, and uh, we are grateful that you made that decision as well. Uh, it would Thank be uh, uh, very difficult for us to carry on this interview <laughs> without, <Wouldn't> it? <laughs> without you. It'd be kind of one-sided, don't you one think? One-sided. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. You have a website. It is uh, LeeTomlinson.com. And as I said, we will be linked to it. But one of the things Thank that you. I find so interesting uh, is uh, people's... I refer to them as philosophies. People will say religion, and that's fine. I'm curious about your faith. Where was it prior to all of this stuff happening? And where was it while this was going on? Because obviously it sounds to me like at that moment when that doctor came in and started talking to you, up until he offered you that suggestion, it seems to me like you had lost your faith. Yes, I had, to be very honest with you. I could not understand. I mean, I look at my life and I think that I'm basically a kind, caring, compassionate, sensitive, responsive human being. Mm -hmm. Every day I try to be more so because it reveals more of who I am to me and to the world. So that's always been my goal. Um, I was sort of religious as a child. It turned into spirituality not long thereafter. So it was less about uh, processes and procedures mm -hmm. and more about a relationship with a higher being. When I was discovered with cancer, when I was diagnosed, <laughs> my first reaction was, what the hell? <laughs> Why me? I mean... I'm not, I mean, God, are you, 
is this a, a punishment? Is this a, a why, why are you doing this to me? This is destroying my life. It's destroying my health. It's making me absolutely uh, miserable. What did I do wrong? And I had that feeling through the whole process that I had done something drastically wrong and God was punishing me. Now, there's an old saying, which people always said to me when they discovered I had cancer. You know, Lee, uh, you because know, I can't work in movies. Or I can't do this. I can't do that. When one door closes, another door opens. I hate that saying, especially when you got cancer. It's like, I'm going to smack you. If you ever had cancer, don't talk to me about doors. Is, is, it, but, okay? is it okay if I talk to you about windows? Yeah, right? Something <laughs> else. But don't tell me about either of them. Because, okay, okay. you know, that's a stupid saying. But what got my attention was late in the process. Somebody said, you know, Lee, when uh, one door closes, another door opens. But most people are so fixed on looking at the door that closed, they never notice the doors that open. Mm. That changed my perspective radically. And I realized that I had an opportunity to speak up for those 50% of patients who never get compassionate care when they're being treated in hospitals. I get to advocate for them and do what I can do within healthcare to change that. The most important of which is I get to advocate with healthcare providers, most of whom are hugely dedicated to doing whatever they can do to relieve your pain, mm -hmm. but spend too little time taking care of their own pain and resolving that. <sighs> Compassion requires that I look deeply within inside myself find out what pains me and never, ever, ever take it out on anybody else. So if you're a healthcare worker and you're cranky and your husband's a jerk and you don't like the pay you're getting and you're working too many hours, and that's foremost when you walk into a patient's room, guess what you're going to express? That, unless you are very, 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 very aware of the fact that you're doing that can walk to that door and go, okay, I'm here right now. I'm about to walk in to see Lee Tomlinson, cancer patient, unidentifiable septic infection, studio executive, movie producer, uh, father, husband, family man, and then walk in. So that's really the opportunity that arose from my cancer and I now actually, to cancer survivor groups, when I get to speak, I've done, what, a couple of hundred keynotes in the last four or five years. Um, it's called the blessings of cancer. Absolutely, exclamation point. If we're willing to look at doors, not the closed, but the ones that are opening, I promise you there are blessings to be found. But we got to be open. we got to look for them. If the only blessing is we have life and breath, which means we have hope, mm -hmm. that alone is the greatest blessing in this lifetime anyway. And we need to be grateful for it and express that gratitude. And the more we feel grateful, the more we'll want to share it with others by being 
compassionate with them because they've got the same pain. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little different, but they've got pain. Everybody is fighting a great battle. Everybody has pain. Everybody could use kindness, caring, compassion, and the healing qualities of it. Everybody. Yeah. That's my job. And that's the blessing of cancer. Um, and I am grateful for it. I don't want to do it again. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But for me, it was the only way to get my attention and focus it on my life's mission, which is to bring more compassion back to the world in healthcare and elsewhere. We're talking with Lee Tomlinson and the Compassion Heals Movement. LeeTomlinson.com. We will be linked to his website as well. I will tell you that I've only experienced it from on the from the outside, Lee. Uh, my my wife, my present wife, uh, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer back in 2001. She went oh. through the surgery. She went through six months of chemo, and mm. I would not wish that stuff on my worst enemy if I had one. Okay, yeah. if I had yeah. one, I wouldn't wish it on him. Uh, and because it is, uh, you know, I mean, and, and then there's the other aspect of it too. I mean, I'm sure that you must've run into this with caregivers, uh, people who were there to take care of you, uh, and set the compassion aside for just a moment. Caring for someone who's going through something like that is from my perspective as the caregiver that I became very draining. At one (laughs) point I needed a break, but I didn't know how to go about it. And at that time, I was working for a station, and I happened to meet a woman with the uh, East Valley uh, uh, Cancer uh, Foundation, I, uh, something along those lines. Cancer and, Support Committee. Exactly. And this was, yeah. in, this was in Phoenix. And I, asked, I told her about my situation, and I said, you know, I've been invited by a buddy of mine to, to drive, drive out to San Diego for the weekend, uh, you know, for a couple of days just to get away. Uh, but my wife and I, we had this conversation, and she says, well, <clears throat> if if you go, I will resent you the rest of my life. And if I don't let you go, you will resent me the rest of your life. Well, mm. I ended up going because I knew that she had neighbors across the street, my parents as well, who somebody was coming over throughout the day while I was gone. They knew what I, that I was going to take off for a little while. I mean, this was brand new to me. This was hard. This was no not, kidding. I, now, again, and this is one of the the, draw, uh, the dynamics that you kind of run into. I'm sure you ran into this where people would even say, Lee, you know, this is really hard. Yeah, well, yeah, you think you got it rough. I've got cancer and I'm going through. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. I'm not trying to compare pain here. <laughs> well, I'm but trying it, to. But it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. But what I want to say is, is that <laughs> I have I have. There's a picture right in front of me, right here, right now, of a gentleman that I saw almost every day during the past, during the four months of his life Mm -hmm. as he was dying from cancer. And he just didn't have a lot of people to be with him. And his hospital was relatively nearby. And so I made it my, I mean, and he had throat cancer Mm. and it was aggressive, very fast. Um, It was as horrible thing as I'd ever seen. I, I have to say that the heroes of my world are the caregivers. We're sick. We're trying to fight for our life. Fine. But those people on the sidelines mm-hmm. who are intimately involved in trying to deal with our anger, our frustration, our pain, our suffering, and all of that, 
there's not a lot of relief for them. There are organizations like the Cancer Support Community, mm-hmm. which my wife, thanks God, went to every single week for a year and a half to get the emotional support from other caregivers where she could talk about her pain, where she could discuss it and relieve it, where she could get direction and suggestions. You know, the thing is, if you're caring for an ill person, do yourself and the person who's sick a favor and get help, whether that's someone to give you a break, whether it's someone to give you direction, uh, whether it's someone to simply give you comfort for the pain you're experiencing, which nobody pays attention to. They're only paying attention to the patient. Yeah. So I have nothing but the most immense love for my wife um, and some very close friends who are with me every single day. And the frustration of only sitting there and being able to feed me and clothe me and leave the rest to the universe. That's as hard as having cancer. It's just different. Yeah. And I'm eternally grateful for their love and kindness. One of the conclusions I have come to uh, doing these programs for over 40 years is... Um, wow. wow. Everybody, you and I, Lee, we experience exactly the same emotions. Different intensities from time to time, but it's still all the same. It's the stories that make us unique. Yes. It's the stories that we tell, like on this program, that say, hey, yeah, I feel your pain. I really do. This is not a cliche. This is not a platitude. I do because yeah. I have felt fear. I have felt anxiety. I have felt compassion and love. I have yes. felt uh, the, the myriad of other descriptive words to describe all of the different levels and types of emotions that we have. Yes. Now. My story is neither better nor worse than yours. Had a situation Mm -hmm. here at work where (laughs) my boss came in and he shared this horrific story of what happened to him over Memorial Day weekend Mm -hmm. where he was leaning into this pool tank, this pool filter tank, and he was trying to adjust some bolts and the thing blew up. It blew up. Now, he's okay. He went to the doctor and there's some bruising. There are some cracked ribs, but nothing, nothing you know, horrific, right? And then, of course, I share with him, oh, yeah, well, I fell over my dog and I banged my knee on the floor and I'm hobbling around the station. And he says, no, I'll leave it to you to find a way to top me. I says, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm just sharing my story. Anybody that's got a story where they survive an explosion, that will top mine every time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but our stories are, are again, uh, we need to share them. We need to tell yes. people about them in spite of the fact that what connects us is uh, that anxiety, that fear, that frustration, that anger, especially. And I had to deal with that. And that's my wife's uh, cancer actually is what uh, propelled me into uh, working on and writing the book that I have right now called Choices, Five Steps for Life. Uh, and the first thing you have to do is make a choice. And it sounds to me like you had to make a number yes. of choices along the way. Yes. Let's just say uh, you started out with the chemo. Can I make it the next 15 minutes? Yeah, I can do that. And the next and the next and the next and the next. But by the end of the seven weeks, it's can I make it to the next 15 minutes? I don't want to. I really don't want to. 
So Correct. I actually went to my wife early, early on, uh, shortly before her surgery. And I said, um, and I did ask her this question in this way. I said, do you want to live or do you want to die? I may not like your answer or your choice, but I'll support you in it, whatever it is. Now, she told me later that she had made that decision early on. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm glad that she did because she's great. To, she's doing great today, beautiful today, and, and doing all kinds of great things. And still putting up with you. I and might still add, putting which, up um, with me. <laughs> you know, I'm not so sure that's the best decision she ever made. But I'll leave that to her to figure out. <laughs> well, I will tell you that that um, that is one of the first things that we have to do. So I'm curious. Mm. When your diagnosis first came down, I'm sure uh, initially there was shock. Huh. But... Once the, the, the shock kind of, I don't know, wore off a little bit, what was your first choice in that regard? Well, I, I'll be honest and, and tell you that uh, uh, I didn't feel like I had a lot of choices. I can tell you that what I felt uh, most every minute of every day was rage, hmm. simple rage, mm -hmm. rage at the cancer, rage at um, the universe, rage at how it was destroying my life, rage at every single bit of it. Um, and thanks God, I got in touch with my purpose, which was to do what I can do to bring as much healing, kindness, and compassion back to healthcare and the world. That's why I wrote the book, Compassion Heals, to remind healthcare professionals and others that the very first thing you have to do, if you want to be the best person you can be, is to be healthy. So you have to take care of yourself. You have to work on relieving your own problems so you don't take it out on others. Mm -hmm. That's when you're most available. And the more everybody craves human kindness. Again, we are genetically predisposed for connection. When babies are born, and they're not touched and held and comforted, they shrivel up and die. Yeah. And so do we. Yeah. And so do we. Yeah. And we've all been isolated. Seeing a picture is not the same as being in the presence of someone. Yeah. And most people are not as loving, caring, kind, and affectionate on the phone or on a video as they are in person. And that's why I think there's an even elevated amount of violence and anger in the world today is because of that isolation. So, you know, it's like, okay, I'm only one person. The world is a big place, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What can I do about it? Simple, no joke, scientifically proven. Start by doing one extra kind act a day. Commit to, I will do one itty bitty. I'll open the door for somebody. I'll help somebody with a package. I'll give a dollar to a homeless. Tiny little acts, but commit to doing one a day. Mm -hmm. When you do that kind act for someone, it's amazing what happens. My shrink tells some of his people who are depressed, here's, here's your homework. For the next month, do one kind act a day. Just one. Mm -hmm. What happens is, is that when people are kind to others and they get a response, it's a positive response. If it's only a thank you, mm -hmm. 
A, they connect. B, they know they were valuable and made a difference. That makes the receiver healthier and happier. It makes the provider healthier, happier. And both of them, again, scientifically proven, tend to pass it on. So if I do a kind act for the fellow in the park who's sleeping there and I give him a couple of bucks, believe it or not, he is likely to do something very soon thereafter kind for somebody else who's likely to do something kind. So it becomes like this wave. So if we want to make a difference, we don't have to change the world. We don't have to go to the UN. We don't have to get a new president. We don't have to move to, no. Small is all. Commit to one kind act per day. You'll feel better. They will feel better. And because of that ripple reaction, the world will be better for it. And if we do it for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, we can make a material, measurable difference. And in fact, it's the only thing that we can do to heal the world of all of the dis discord, violence, et cetera, that is occurring in it. It is the only way. It's mm -hmm. not about money. It's not about position. It's, those things may be an expression of our compassion. Sure. But we have to start by connecting. I'll watch you. I feel your pain. I'll do what I can do to help you relieve yours. You feel my pain. You'll help to relieve mine. And together, we'll get through this. It's the together part we have to get again. And it starts with you, and it starts with one teeny tiny little kind act per day. Sounds like nothing? It's not. Yeah. There's a great story. It's a sad story, but it's a very compelling story about a gentleman who wrote a suicide note, which I can relate to. Mm -hmm. And in it, he said, you know, I've had it. I'm going to walk to the bridge, and I'm going to jump. Unless I make eye contact with one single human being. They found his body floating in the bay. And they found his note at his home. What would you feel like if you remembered, you, you thought, wow, I, I saw, I, I remember seeing that guy. I remember that coat, that jacket, that hat, whatever it is. Wow. I didn't even glance at them. I didn't even give them a heads up or a thumbs up or, a, or anything. I could have saved that man's life. Guess what? We may not all be at that level of despair, mm -hmm. but we're all in great pain. We all could use a simple kind act to heal that pain within us. There is what is called the Hippocratic Oath that is summed up by uh, do no harm. Yes. And again, I'm not passing judgment on anyone when I say this. But to not show compassion yes. is, as you have defined it here, Lee, is yep. to do harm. Yes. It's malpractice. Yeah. If you, if you, there's a book called Compassionomics. If you want to know, or anybody of your listeners wants to know, no joke, two research scientists spent two and a half years going every, over every single study relative to compassion to find out if it really had any value, it was just a nice thing to do. And they found out that it had immense healing qualities. And it's all summarized in this book. So literally what they're saying is, look, you want to solve the problems of the world? It is empirically proven that you must be compassionate. 
And in healthcare, where we know somebody's in pain, it is absolutely essential, mandatory, not optional, that you be both competent and compassionate. And to deny either, in yours and my definition and most patients, is malpractice. It is doing harm. If you had a pill that you could give to a patient that gives all of the benefits of compassionate care in a pill, and you went to work one day and you know, you're in a cranky mood and the traffic was horrible and you're 10 minutes late and your boss yelled at you. It's like, I don't feel like giving that pill today to my patient because I'm in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. What? That's malpractice. Yeah. Give them the pill. Now, it's not a pill. It's how you interact with them. Right. But it is every bit as valuable as any pill would be, which is now proven yeah. in that book. Compassionomics. Lee Tomlinson's my guest. Uh, the Compassion Heals uh, movement is what we're talking about. And the title of that book, once again, Lee, is? Is Compassion Heals from Self Care to Health Care. It's available on Amazon and everywhere else. Compassion Heals, folks. Pick up a copy. Go to his website. Please. LeeTomlinson.com as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I, um, I, I have had uh, interactions with people who have been working in particular jobs, especially in the medical field, for a long time. Yes. And like you said, uh, you know, they're, they're starting to feel burnt out a little bit. They don't feel like they're making a difference. Now, this particular person I'm talking about has mm -hmm. the utmost of compassion. Her focus, her whole focus, doesn't care what her supervisors say or coworkers say, her whole focus is on the patient. Okay. Now, she's worked for the Mayo Clinic. She's worked Ooh. for a place called Arizona Heart. She currently works at Sansom Clinic. And one of the things that I try to remind her of, and uh, it's, it's really well, uh, I think, well stated because of some of the very high profile individuals she used to care for back at Mayo. And I mean, very high individuals. Yeah, I get it. I said, if you had a businessman who walked into the clinic and he was just fit to be tied. He was upset and angry because he got up this morning and this happened and that happened and every other thing happened. Uh, and um, you, you come across and you are there and you're supportive and you're giving him kind words and you're doing all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You know where he's headed next? You don't know this, but he's headed to a business meeting. All right where he's got to make some real important decisions. And your conversation with him, or her for that matter, uh, is one where you kind of diffuse that anxiety, that anger, that frustration. And yes. they calm down. And you go and you do the tests and you draw the blood and you do this and you do that and do the other thing. And they leave there completely opposite of the way in which they walked in because of the way you were with them, because your focus is on the patient. 
Hello. The decisions that person now makes in that business meeting are going to be 100% different. Yep. Or at least carried out in a yep. whole different attitude. I said, you don't seem to realize how important your role is. Yes. Yes. And that's with someone who is dealing with high profile individuals. Well, high profile, low profile, yeah. or in between profile mm -hmm. is irrelevant. True, true. Pa human pain is pain. True. And having someone empathize and get your pain and seeing and hearing them helps relieve it. Doesn't mean she's got to go in and solve all of his problems. No. But her empathy for him dramatically not only changes how he approaches that meeting, but his heartbeat, his serotonin, his it dramatically impacts his body. That kind of strain will kill you. And one of the cures for it, which is not traditional medicine, is simple human kindness. It can diffuse it again. As a healer, your job 24-7 is to comfort always, which is to say, comes from what? Comfortari, the Latin, is to provide strength in times of need. That person was obviously in need. She reacted perfectly. Mm -hmm. She heard him. She respected him. She didn't judge his opinion, didn't judge anything that he said. She just expressed, I get your pain. Jeez, I get it. Wow, it yeah. sucks. Wow, that's terrible. That is compassion, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to buy him a new car. You don't have to send the kids, you know, <laughs> to college. You don't have to do, you know, change the, no. Yeah. Everybody's fighting a great battle. There isn't a human you walk by that if you woke them up enough and said, so um, got any pain in your life? Oh, They'll be there for an hour. <laughs> yeah, they so will. So the, the question is whether you want to be of service or not. Yeah. And if that, if that, if she's a doctor, a nurse, whatever she is, if she doubts it, give me her address. I'm going to send her one of my books. She will feel loved and appreciated. It's people like her that I'm a, are the reason why I'm alive today. So part of my job is to tell healthcare professionals that. I love you. Mm -hmm. I'm in awe of your skills. I'm in awe of the times that you've reduced my pain and saved my life. I owe you every joy I have in life. It's because of you. Mm -hmm. And it is for every one of your patients, even when their pain is so great, they forget to tell you. Yeah. I'm here to tell you for all of them, your work is life-giving and life-saving every minute that you express compassion. And it's not easy, but boy, is it powerful. Lee Tomlinson's my guest, LeeTomlinson.com. And uh, <clears throat> the uh, Compassion Heals book available through his website. We hope that you'll get a copy. One of the other things, too, that was shared with me by this person was uh, that um, there was a, a patient that would call fairly regularly to try to get some help. Uh, they were obviously in some some form of pain. I don't know exactly whether it was necessarily physical or emotional. Nonetheless, pain is pain. Nobody wanted to deal with this person on the phone because they would get belligerent. They would get this. They would get that. They would get the other. She finally took the call. Good for her. And in her inimitable way,
She finally got to the root. She got him calmed down. She, he, she, he was finally understood. He was heard. Yes, yes. And it exactly. worked. It worked. And and uh, um, and and she she even made the comment to me. She says, "I don't know why everybody was. What are they so afraid of dealing with this person? You know, just oh, he just wanted to be listened to." And it yes. reminds me too of um, when I was working for a Christian station back in Phoenix, and we had these call-in prayer shows programs, yes. right? Yes, Live yes, prayer. Yes. You know, call on it. Call in. We'll pray for your healing, your whatever it is you want, right? Right, right. And I would hear people calling in for their healing, for whatever it was, whatever was ailing them. And it was the same people with the same condition week after week after week after week. And I'm going, what, what's going on here? And it finally dawned on me. They didn't necessarily want a healing. They wanted a connection. Yes. They wanted somebody to hear them, to listen to yes. them, to yes. empathize. Yes. Yeah. To com to commiserate. To com yeah. To support them, to encourage them, uh, to strengthen them, to console them, exactly. to comfort them. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we want when we're in pain is, please comfort me. Yeah. You don't have to treat me. You don't have to solve my problem. Just yeah. hold me. The equivalent of hold me in your arms and just listen to me. Not forever, not for hours, unless you care to. Yeah. But just for a moment, let me know you get my pain. Somebody gets my pain. I'm human. They yeah. see me. They feel me. They're holding me. They care about me. Yeah. I remember, and you brought this to mind, <clears throat> I remember when I was 21, I'd moved out of my parents' house. I was actually living in an apartment in a complex, a series of complexes that I delivered newspapers to as a kid in, in high school. Oh, and wow. I, I once said while delivering papers, I'm going to I am going to move into one of these apartments one day. I am. All right. Now, I didn't put much into it at the time, per se, although it was a wish. So I ended up moving in. I fell in love with this one woman. She was probably in her early 30s. And she had a lot of issues, according to a lot of her close friends in the apartment complex. Hmm. But the one thing I remember <clears throat> was she came over one evening. Now, understand, I was in love with her. Okay. So she comes over and she was a good friend. She really was. And she came over and we got to talking and she was starting to feel a little tired. And she laid down with her head in my lap. And she fell asleep. Mm. And I, at first, you know, 21 years old, very little experience <sighs> in anything, right? I'm going, uh, what am I supposed to do here? What, what, what do what, I do now? No one. And then it dawned on me that the reason why she fell asleep was because she felt comfortable. She felt safe. 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 She felt safe. Yep. yep. And um, I don't think I'll ever forget that because that is where we want to come from as individuals. Yeah. Making yes. people feel safe. Don't judge them. Right. Yes. Judgment yes. is probably the biggest 
issue we have, isn't it, when it comes to trying to be compassionate? Yes. But you're yes. not being compassionate when you're judging. Yes, correct. Correct. Yeah. You know, Mother Teresa, uh, you know, treated the poorest of the poor. Right. And many of them ended up in her hands after a life of tragedy, a life of violence, a life of criminality, or didn't care. You're a human being. I care. I'm not going to let you be violent with me. I'm not going to let you abuse me. But I just want you to know I care about you and I will do whatever I can to help relieve your pain. That is so empowering. That's what that doctor did for me at the very end mm -hmm. was he believed in me. He thought I had value. And it's not like the doctors before that or nurses and everybody else hadn't done it before that. But at my lowest point, at my most vulnerable, when I felt the least valuable I'd ever felt in my life because of the lack of care, he rescued me by saying, I see you, I hear you, I feel your pain, I apologize for it, and let's see if we can't make it better yeah. together. Yeah. And we did, and we have, and we continue to. Yeah. I spoke to him just the other day. Oh, great. And, I'm glad uh, you're still in contact with him. Oh, That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes, absolutely. Regularly. Yeah. So, again, compassion is not, it's not gigantic acts. It can be. You know, if you want to write somebody a $2,500 tip, go mm -hmm. right ahead. I'm if open to it. To, <laughs> me, me too. Like, uh, I wish I could. But it's, it's literally like that fellow walking to the bridge. Yeah. As you're walking by and you're in a hallway and you're the only two there, rather than walking by like two robots, turn to that person and just give them a nod. Maybe yeah. a smile. Yeah. How long does that take? A second? Yeah. And that is so powerful that it would have saved that gentleman's life. Yeah. Now, will it save a life every time you're kind? No. But it might. Yeah. What have you got to lose? Why not? Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing. And guess what? If you do that kindness, you'll actually feel better about it because you will have connected which you need as much as they do. And that's the solution to all of our problems is to connect on a very basic survival level, simple human kindness, our number one need next to food. And if we give it, we get it back. If we give it, we get it back. So it sounds so simple. It is simple. Apparently, it's not easy. It takes intention. I'm going to be more compassionate for the next day, week, month, whatever. Every day, I'm going to remind myself, oops, I haven't done my kind act today. What could I do? It's six o'clock. Um, um, oh, call, call a friend who I haven't called in a while. Uh, whatever it is, commit to doing it. And you can change the world for the world and individuals in it, just like that fellow walking to the bridge. Yeah. Lee Tomlinson's my guest. We're talking about uh, compassion. Compassion heals. It absolutely does. And it will not just heal the people you are compassionate to. It will also heal you in a very profound way. It will make a huge difference. And sometimes yes. just the smallest, the smallest yes. of movements 
can yeah. make some of the biggest, some of the biggest differences. We yes. are uh, so grateful that uh, you are, are here with us here on the program today. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I certainly hope that uh, you are enjoying this program, which is available in a podcast form on SoundCloud and iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations uh, that you folks are reposting to. And we appreciate that level of compassion and consideration as well uh, to uh, expand our reach to others. We also hope that you'll go to our YouTube channel, Tell Me Your Story, and uh, watch these interviews. I, I think you'll get a kick out of them. It's a lot of fun to do. I've uh, been doing uh, videos now for a, almost a year, uh, um, Lee, and, and uh, you have done a video, a TED Talk. Tell me about yes. that experience. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I'd watched TED Talks forever. And uh, as soon as I heard about them, I started watching the videos. And it was a fair amount of time ago, and they used to hold them in Pebble Beach, which as a golfer, an addicted golfer, is heaven. So combining the two was quite a treat. Uh, so I'd always wanted to do them. And as I began to fulfill my mission to return the practice of compassion to healthcare in the world, um, I thought, what better way to do it than do a TED Talk? Well, can't speak for you, but how do you get to do a TED Talk? I, it is like I had no idea. I mean, it's a great idea. Sure. Change the world. Bring compassion back. Um, how do you do that? Again, I do believe that the universe said, finally, Lee, you found your purpose. Now let's uh, see if we can't help. And all of a sudden, I got a phone call from Eli Lilly and company, a major pharma company based in Indianapolis. And they said, we're doing a TEDx event, and uh, we've heard you speak. We know your story, and uh, we're going to telecast it around the world to all of our offices uh, and all of our employees. Mm. Um, would you be interested in opening um, the broadcast? What? <laughs> you're, you're asking me? I was prepared to beg. Um, and they said, no, uh, we've heard you speak. Uh, your message is exactly what we want our people to hear because, yeah. you know, they're not in the pill business. They're not in the uh, medicine business. They're in the healing business. And we want them to remember that people, both our customers and those who use our products, all need compassion. So it fell into my lap and it has been the well, that was, I mean, I, I bet I hadn't done 10 keynotes when I did my first, or when I did my TED Talk. And it literally launched me into the stratosphere. All I had to do was send a TED Talk to a prospective um, hospital or medical conference. And they're like, well, if he could do a TED Talk, uh, clearly we got to have him come speak to us. So it was uh, one of those dreams come true. There was a problem which is, and I share this, well, obviously not only with you now, but so here I am doing a TED Talk. And what I knew, having listened to hundreds of them, is that you have an exact period of time. And if you go even slightly over it, they will literally pull you off stage because they, don't, they know that you know, a certain set of time is exactly what people are willing to listen to. Mm -hmm. Well, I get up there and I start to speak. Everything's going great. And I look down at the timer and it says... 
16 minutes, 42 seconds. <laughs> so I thought, I only got 18 minutes. I only got two minutes to go. And I watched it for another beat or two, and it was going backwards. I had never done a talk in my life with a timer that went backwards. It always started at zero. And so I knew I was five minutes in, 10 minutes in. I had no idea. I was terrified they were going to pull me off. And to your listeners that go to listen to my TED Talk, it's a little long. They didn't pull me off, but I am deeply humiliated for having violated that uh, condition. But it went very well. And it has been just an absolutely massively powerful calling card for me. Mm. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. a dream come true. Yeah. Dream, I mean, literally, it's on my bucket list. Who doesn't want to do it? Why? Maybe a lot of people. You know, I wanted to do a TED Talk and I got to, and I didn't have to even apply. They came to me. Oh, wow. How cool is Talk about universe speaking on my behalf. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. I don't know of anybody else who gets asked to do a TED Talk. I tell you what, I, I know of a local gentleman here who uh, produces them and you know, I've I've kind of made it uh, 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 made him aware. Yeah, I would love to do a TED talk. I think that talking about uh, uh, the fact that it doesn't matter what situation you are in, you always always have choices. The question yes. is, do you know what choices you have? That's why we say we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make yes. your dreams come true, because yes. we don't always know. What choices are available to us? And that's why I'm such a firm believer, for example, with this program today, uh, I'm a firm believer in education and not just formal education because we learn in so many different ways and we need to be open to those different ways. Yes. And, yes. And, yeah. and that's exactly why, to your point, education is everything. Yeah. And that's why so many of my keynote addresses are at med schools and nursing schools to get to those healthcare providers before they get into a system that will grind them to bits. <laughs> yes. Can you, well, listen, yeah. can, you know, can you imagine being a doctor or a nurse or anybody else in healthcare and what you have to deal with every single day? Yeah. You know, dying people, sick people, families, crying, pain, suffering, and do it willingly day after day? Yeah. I, I couldn't yeah. do that in a million years. So it really is, um, you know, it, it's a tough business, but they do it willingly. And now we just got to get them to take care of themselves. So my message to healthcare professionals when I have the opportunity to speak to them is take care of yourself. Love yourself first. It's not a luxury. It's a necessity. It's not selfish. It's healthy. Yeah. And if you're not healthy, you won't be healthy with your patients and you'll deny them that comfort, that compassion. Yeah. Yeah. It is utterly amazing to me. And deemed yeah. to be integral to their best outcome. You want to remember. Right. right. So. That's um, that's a tough, that's a tough message. But they hear it, they listen to it, and uh, apparently, I think I'm making a difference. If you believe what they've written and spoken to me afterwards, it's very fulfilling for me. And I will bet that your services are going to be needed now more than ever. 
I hope. Uh, because of the past 18 months of what we here in the United States have gone through, let alone the global uh, issue of first responders, yes. this is one of the things that really, I, I don't want to say it galls me, but it, it, it sure, I wish it would get people to stop and think. When they start criticizing and they start saying that, that what we've been through was actually a waste of time, it destroyed this, it did that, it did the other thing, it was a fraud, a fake, a this, a that, or the other. And I say, then go talk to the first responders. Go talk to them about what they have been through the last 18 months. And yes. they were already overworked just with yes. general medical issues, yes. and then yes. they had to deal with the pandemic. Go talk yeah. to them and tell them that it was faked, that it was a fraud, that we were all lied to, et cetera, et cetera, on infinitum. You tell them that and see what happens. I have a better suggestion. Please. Next I, time, mine's next a little time, too hard. Next, <laughs> next time you're in the presence of a healthcare provider, mm -hmm. don't tell them about all that nonsense tell them how much you love and appreciate them mm -hmm. tell them how much good they've given you over your lifetime tell them about all the treatments tell them all about all the diagnoses tell them about everything that they've done and how hard they worked and the price they pay yeah. to be able to choose to do that for you for what i think is a precious small amount of reward financially if you're in the life-saving and life-giving business, I think you ought to be paid millions. Yeah. I literally do. Yeah. But they're not. So they go in and in and in and into the worst imaginable situations you wouldn't ever do. Mm. Why? Because they care so deeply. They will give their own lives to no advantage. They will give their own lives to help save yours. That's the definition of a hero. Yeah. So you could talk about fake, not fake, whatever. Tell that to the 750,000 families who've lost a family member. That's it. That it was all fake. Mm -hmm. That's not true. People who had no other underlying conditions died of this disease. And it was no other disease but COVID. Yeah. That's all they had. Yeah. So I'm not here to debate with people who are Right. Imagining these scenarios. I'm here to bring health and healing to healthcare providers so that they can better provide that healing and health to us patients when we need it the most. Those people who treated me so poorly in that hospital, they weren't bad people. No. They weren't uncaring. They were absolutely just burned out and had no support from their institution or themselves to take the time and energy to get healthy again yeah. so they could be compassionate to me and everybody else. That's a crisis in healthcare. That's and, a crisis in the world. And to that end, I think it befits us, you and I, Lee, that we dedicate this program to the medical community, to the first responders who gave so much, and in some instances did indeed give their lives yeah. in service to people they didn't even know, uh, and the heartache that they went through watching person after person after person pass on. 
and uh, and also uh, watching those who were wheeled out with to applause and wonderful fanfare, which was great. Uh, but uh, I say we dedicate this to them and the fine work that they've been doing and will continue to do. And I'm hoping that more people will, first of all, take care of themselves, but also yes. in the process of people choosing to go into this line of work, into the medical community, there yes. needs to be a course in self-care. I don't think there is. Yes. I'm not, I've never been through medical school, so I don't know. <laughs> but there needs to be. Not only a course, but we need to uh, work with the institutions in which they work to remind them of that necessity. There's already a shortage of nurses. We yeah. can't get enough, which means the ones we have are working even harder. And the same is true of doctors. Exactly. So there needs to be a shift of appreciation within the system for the heroes that work for it. Mm -hmm. And we need to express our gratitude to those people for the care and treatment that we get as well. Yeah. So being compassionate when you have an opportunity, those people who are treating you are in terrible pain themselves. Yeah. They could use a smile, a touch, a handshake, a thank you, a note, a card, whatever it is, if you feel it. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. My job is to thank them. My job is to remind them of the immense power they have, not only when they treat me, but when they care for me in a compassionate way. Yeah. So, uh, and to remind them, they have to do the same for themselves mm -hmm. or they're gonna burn out and yeah. be useless. Compassion Heals. Lee is with us here on the program here. Uh, and, and, and we are, are ever so grateful for what you are giving us, Lee. Uh, Lee, uh, Tomlinson is my guest. Patient Lee. Patient Lee Tomlinson and Compassion Heals here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, inspiring medical professionals to bring compassion, C-A-R-E, care, back to the forefront of modern medicine. And we hope that you will do your part by going to his website, leetomlinson.com, and uh, ordering a copy of the book, reading about him and his story. Uh, you certainly can go to the TED Talk, which is linked there as well. Uh, Lee, let me, uh, let me just say, first of all, I'm very grateful for the time that you have given us here on the program. Uh, and we are coming close to the end of our, our time here together. I thank you for your story and the time you have given us. And I'm hoping one of these days that, um, and it's I believe it's sooner rather than later, that maybe somewhere uh, along the way we'll be able to meet person to person, face to face, hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, and can and have a, another conversation such as what we've just had. Well, I would like that greatly. And I, I just want to thank you very much for having me. Um, um, you're very kind and very generous with your time. And I, I hope that your listeners will be a little bit more compassionate, just a touch more, one kind act per day. Yeah. And change the world. Absolutely. I have three final questions that I want to ask you, which you may have answered sometime during the interview, but I do like to ask them directly. 
Before I do, I want to let our listeners and viewers know that uh, this program is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Mondays at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also on uh, PayPal. Uh, we are also on SoundCloud, <laughs> TuneIn Radio. We, we do have a PayPal account. I'll tell you that in just a second here. We've got podcasts all over the place. We hope that you will uh, listen and even repost interviews that you like to other locales. And uh, as far as the uh, video, we encourage you to go to Tell Me Your Story, the channel, on YouTube. And you can watch uh, the 117-plus interviews that are up there right now and growing mm-hmm. We also ask, if you can, we would greatly appreciate any support that you can give us here on the program. So we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And please participate in the decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. Spend that time going within. Spend that time listening to that still small voice. We didn't get much into uh, the aspect of intuition, but I would venture uh, that uh, your intuition, um, especially in the deepest, darkest uh, chasms of pain that you were suffering through near the end of your chemo and radiation, uh, your intuition wasn't doing you much good because you weren't really listening. It was really hard because of the pain. Yes, correct. But maybe we will have you back and maybe we can touch on that as well. Good. All right. Good. Whenever, whenever, wherever, away you go. Absolutely. Let's do it. Fantastic. Well, so as we wrap up this particular edition of Tell Me Your Story, dedicated to our first responders and medical community who are out there uh, living out the Hippocratic Oath of doing no harm and incorporating into their lives or their work compassion. Compassion heals. We encourage you to get a copy as well as we have already said at Lee. Uh, uh, Tem- uh, Tem- oh my goodness, uh, Tomlinson, LeeTomlinson.com. Please go there and check out that. My first question of the three that I ask all of my guests is, who is Lee Tomlinson? Um, I am a uh, an aging white male in 2212 with uh, advanced cancer and an unidentifiable septic infection at the site of my port, which is exactly how I was described by the uh, medical students and doctor outside my door, not Lee Tomlinson, family man, studio owner, producer, um, um, golf addict, former professional athlete. None of that. There was no humanity in it. Uh, who I am today, though, is I'm a person on a mission to bring compassion to healthcare, patients, providers, and everybody else in the world in a time in my 72 years, where it needs it the most. That's who I am. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I don't want anybody ever to have the experience I had in that hospital and to be driven to that depth. There is no excuse whatsoever for being anything less than kind, caring, compassion, in a healthcare environment because it's the best medicine in addition to treatment. So not only in healthcare, but I don't want anybody ever to be treated so inhumanely and insensitively like that again. And finally, what is your life's purpose? 
Well, I think you just heard it. <laughs> it really is the same answer, which is to re- just to, I want to be a reminder. A, I want to thank healthcare professionals for the ridiculously difficult job they do day in and day, uh, day in and day out. But it's also to remind people, not just in healthcare, but everywhere else, that a simple act of kindness, a simple glance, a simple smile, a simple touch, can literally in that moment be life-saving and life-giving. And if we want the world to be a better place, that change has to start with us. We need to see the pain of others. And we need to commit to doing whatever we can do to help relieve the pain of others. Because in doing that, they'll return that to us Mm. in equal measure. Lee Tomlinson, thank you so much once again for joining us here on the program. Greatly appreciate the work that you're doing in regards to compassion. Compassion Heals, LeeTomlinson.com. We're linked to his website, so please go there and uh, continue your evolutionary process. I'm Richard Dugan, and I want to thank you for listening and for watching. Tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to law.